players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Dark Ritual, Force of Wind, Lightning Bolt, and many, many others. Battling head-to-head -head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common. To uphold their legacy in the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by the minds behind Bashanral on YouTube, Thurban University, and TheEpicStorm.com. everyone, and welcome to episode 44 of the Eternal Glory podcast, Delver Doesn't Die. I'm Phil Gallagher, joined by Bryant Cook and Brian Koval. How are you all doing tonight? I wish it would fucking die, Phil. <laughs> yeah, we, we had a long conversation when we were trying to name this episode of how do we make like a nuclear bomb reference where like only cockroaches will survive the nuclear holocaust, and Delver is that cockroach. The insectile aberration is the race that will replace humanity when everything else is gone. So how are you guys doing outside of Delver of Secrets? Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're making a lot of assumptions there, fella. I'm having a grand old time. I like Delver of Secrets when it's not horseshit good. I like when it's just regular good. But we can get to that later. Yeah. DNT. Good good Delver matchup. Okay place. Uh, Delver Delver has a special place in my heart as a deck that I bully and enjoy, you know, beating up on. I was just trying to segue. You guys made it seem like I have uh, this big issue with Delver. Like I'm in the wrong here. Do you, you have an go? agenda all the time. You want force <laughs> of negation banned in Legacy. I don't trust anything you say. <laughs> all right, random redditor. <laughs> all right, I'll I'll start off. Um, I'm doing okay. I'm I'm back to in person teaching which is weird and full of all sorts of tiny issues, but I'm, I'm getting along fine. They're called students, Phil? Yeah, little issues. That's what I said. <laughs> um, I've been playing a lot of video games in my, my after-school hours. Um, I've been trying to find games that both my girlfriend and I can play together. So we went through Cuphead over about the last two weeks, uh, which is really fun. Probably one of the best games that I've played for the Switch. If you're into, uh, like side scrollers with some shoot 'em up elements highly highly recommend it and then we picked up diablo 3 yesterday which is a game that i've played before but i figured it was something fun that we could play on the couch together is cuphead as difficult as it sounds uh like i i think it didn't it come out with like uh an outrageous number of like settings or hidden modes that are just uh, genuinely challenging the, the game's hard um but it does things to help you out with that. There is there is a lower difficulty you can set it to if you're having trouble. But the game's really rewarding, and the difficulty isn't tedious. So if you compare it to something like Dark Souls, when you're trying to learn a boss, you also have to run through, you know, five minutes of level in order to get back to that boss, and that's bullshit. Whereas this game is just like, the level is the boss fight. Throw your head against it until you're ready. And then there's separate, like, side-scrolling levels. I watched a a live speedrun at one of the GDQs uh, over the past few years uh, be 
in the pre-COVID times where the Mexican runner, that's his name, by the way, I'm not just saying the runner who is Mexican, the Mexican runner, he's a speed runner. Uh, he did Cuphead and he did the the alternate mode where you don't kill or damage any enemies except bosses. Like he just avoided every enemy and there's like a secret. Like, don't you get a grade at the end of the level, like ABC or whatever? Uh-huh. There's like a secret it's like Q or S or something that you get if you clear the level without damaging any enemies. And he did the whole game that way. And it was amazing. Man, that's insane. Um, <laughs> I might have to go back and try that. But yeah, look that up. I, I'm also thinking about socializing with humans again, which is weird and somewhere I didn't expect to be. Like CDC is all like, hey, Groups of small hangouts with all vaccinated people is probably okay. And so I'm toying around with the idea of getting together with a couple of my teacher friends that I'm mentoring. And uh, that's cool. I didn't expect to be doing that as of a month ago. Yeah, it's a, a brave new world. I am also fully vaccinated and my girlfriend's getting her second round uh, in a day or two at the time of this recording. And She's already talking about like, wait, we can go out to restaurants on date nights again. And like, that still doesn't stop us from carrying to other people, but like we don't hang out with other people. So I don't know. I'm waffling the ethics of that. We have a wedding this Saturday, and then there's another one coming up in May. And I didn't miss weddings. Wow, I hate weddings. And now I have no excuse not to go. I actually really like weddings. Get drunk, get to dance. It's a lot of fun. I give a you mean best man speech. Listen, you can get drunk and dance anywhere. You don't have to like put on stupid clothes and go out of town and rent a hotel and buy a gift for people you don't really like. Like I don't know. I hate weddings. I, I actually hate the entire institution of marriage. So this is a deeper thing. And just the fact that somebody would spend what they could spend on the down payment on a house on a party just makes me fucking sick. So I, I, I don't like weddings in general. Well, we sort of eloped, so we didn't do that. But going to other people's expensive parties is a lot of fun. I, I think I've had one at one wedding lifetime. Uh, it was It was a wedding of two of my dearest friends and it was an age appropriate wedding. Like it wasn't like a family wedding. So maybe just like, a peer wedding is more interesting like your parents aren't lurking somewhere around and like pressuring you to dance with your like weird ugly cousin or whatever like i don't know about you guys but that's mostly my wedding experience pittsburgh's weird <laughs> I, I am not from <laughs> pittsburgh i've never been to a pittsburgh wedding all right brian so you're you're on the the ethical fence thinking about getting out doing some things what have you been up to though uh well i uh I'm coming off a work-related injury, which it's been a while. Like normally, that's that's part of my job that I, I'm good for like two a year. That just like put me down for a week. But I uh, sprained my thumb pretty good. Uh, a a piece of furniture was thrown at me last week, and I blocked it with my thumb. <laughs> so uh, I I am coming off of light duty. I actually got cleared today, and I'll be back at work tomorrow. Uh, so so that's nice that I have use of my hands back. And I put them to work immediately. I assembled the disc golf net that I mentioned back in our Christmas episode. I got a disc golf net for the house for Christmas. 
I assembled it. It's wonderful. I've been practicing in the backyard. And the weather is finally nice enough that I can go to the park and actually play around. And I shot slightly better than I did in the fall before the winter came. So uh, I did not get rusty, and I'm surprised by that. But just wait, my next round will be horrendous when the beginner's luck wears off. Yeah, I I often found a little bit of break from Frisbee golf was was good for me because like you kind of get in your own head, you, you know, you're thinking too much about what you've done in the past and then you like get out there, reevaluate things and you play better. Um, yeah, but now I haven't played in two and a half years. There's going to be real rust the next time I go out. Oh, yeah, you're going to have to sand that rust down for sure. But that's both like the the beauty and pain of games like golf and naturally frisbee golf off of it. Like anything that you've done before, you know, you can do. And it's just a matter of putting your brain in the right place to do all of the right things in the same round. It's like I've birdied this hole 17 times in my life. And the time that I par the hole before it for the first time, I bogey the one that I birdied before. What is wrong with me? This is infuriating. But at the same time, you know you're going to come back because you know you just parred that hole for the first time and you know you can birdie the next one and you know you can do each thing. You just got to string it together. And uh, uh, my my dad is an avid like actual golfer and he there's a book about golf called A Good Walk Spoiled, which I, I just think is a hilarious title. I don't know anything about the book, but just uh, <laughs> the, the implication that playing golf ruins a nice walk is just so perfect. So have you gotten no, your ace yet? I have not aced. I, I had a heroic putt this past outing. Like it was, it was definitely. It could have been considered a mid-range shot, but I have not actually just dunked it yet. I I can count on one hand the number I've gotten, and they feel good. I bet. Yeah. I I suspect I would lose my mind, but I'm usually playing alone. And I don't really like interacting with strangers, so there will never be like a real celebration. But I, I will say, when I sunk that crazy deep putt this the other day, I like looked around, like, did anyone see that? <laughs> and of course they didn't, because I'm alone in the woods. But I, I earned it. The birds saw it. God, whatever God you believe in, saw it. That's uh, so. Karanos for me personally. That's my God, Phil. <laughs> Literally the God of Storms. Come on, get your own. Heliod or something, get out of here. Phil can have that one that non-basic lands enter the battlefield tap. Or non non-basic uh, snow lands enter the battlefield tap. That's what we're gonna do tonight. We're gonna tilt tonight. <laughs> you can have Halvar, God of Battle, also. You can have all of these just not quite playable DNT gods. Alright. So my new polytheistic religion aside, Brian, how are you? I've been doing uh pretty good. My birthday was this week, uh turned thirty-two, getting old i'm no longer a prime number but uh my parents shipped me a bunch of like knick-knack birthday gifts and one of them was a rubik's cube i've literally never owned a rubik's cube in my life and it's got a mets logo on it and other mets things i've managed to get one side done but that's as far as i can get without messing everything up uh and somebody messaged me this week they're like you know we find out through this podcast that you end up like you didn't do a lot of things as a kid like i didn't drink hot chocolate and i didn't uh, there's something else they said. I don't remember. But I guess like I had a very sheltered childhood because I'm sure this will get brought up that I never had a Rubik's Cube as well. Uh, yeah. So other than that, 
Uh, this isn't a spoiler, I promise, but I just loved how in WandaVision, it was the perfect COVID comparison that the final episode, Wanda spends the entire time in sweatpants. I just thought that was brilliant. I, I have to imagine it was intentional, but uh, I just thought it was perfect. Um, I don't know if you guys actually watched it or not, but it was sweet. Nah, I'm kind of in my Marvel burnout phase where like I, I'm, I'm sure the stuff that's being made is good, but I've had enough for now. And then later I'll get excited about it and have a couple years worth of media to catch up on. Yeah, I'm the exact opposite. Like I, I can intellectually recognize the like death of good American cinema because now it's so formulaic and Disney owns everything that like we're just going to get these endless blockbusters. But there's a, a big part of my brain that loves that. <laughs> so uh, I will consume any superhero media that gets dropped as soon as it's dropped. Uh, like. I I think we talked about how bad Wonder Woman 1984 was on the show a couple months ago. Which <laughs> Brian is, is shaking his head is, in rage right now. It is just horrendous, but I would be lying if I told you my eyes didn't well up a little bit when like the superhero music started playing in that opening scene and she started just like cracking her whip around and I was like, oh my god, I've missed this so desperately during COVID. So. We, uh, we recently watched uh, the first half of uh, Endgame. Is that the first half? or infinity war and every single time i watch that movie when thor comes down using the bifrost from the new axe and he's like bring me thanos i get chills like i like i can feel them going up my spine every single time and i've seen that movie 15 20 times now oh yeah there are definitely they have figured out how to tap into that like raw cathartic it's not the same like catharsis that you get watching like american history x obviously when like the kid has learned that racism is bad, but then gets shot by a gangbanger for a previous mistake he made. Like, oh God, crushing. Like, that's that's good cinema, but like the moments where it's like, uh, like in uh, Endgame when like Captain Marvel shows up and she's like, hey, Peter Parker, you got something for me? And then like all of like the female superheroes like just line up in a row and that's like a really powerful moment that I'm like, oh shit. Like, like people screamed in the theater when that happened. And that's like, they're good at finding those moments. And yeah, yeah. the Thor showing up with the, the axe is bananas like that, too. Also, they planned Avengers Assemble for 10 years and then finally made it this like massive thing that was just really amazing. Um, but enough about Marvel. So I was watching the show with Brendan Fraser in it and uh, my wife and I we were like, ah, oh. like, it's weird because like in my mind, he is still the guy from the mummy and seeing him at 65 years old after he's let himself go a little bit, uh, you know, not being in the public eye for a while does that. And this was a few months ago. And then last night, the mummy was a newly added movie to HBO. And we were like, oh, we should watch the mummy. I for like, I haven't seen that movie in 20 years. I forgot how amazing it is. It's perfect. Uh, it is so good, but also like I didn't appreciate this as like a twelve year old kid, but it's like pretty close to Indiana Jones. Like if I made Indiana Jones, I would have been a little bit upset. But like they just took our movie and reskinned it. Like it's so hokey and campy and perfect, but you can definitely tell it's like heavily influenced by those movies. So one big thing that's different between the Mummy and Indiana Jones is that Evie, a woman is the lead she is the key decision maker she runs the group she is in charge in an action movie 
and all of the women in Indiana Jones serve some sort of like femme fatale double agent like sex appeal but I'm actually trying to kill you or just damsel in distress kind of role and that's pretty big uh for for film in general like that, I'd agree. that that movie was way ahead of its time and and it is perfect and I'm actually surprised to hear that Brendan Fraser is in something what show is he in uh so there's a HBO show called Titans and in uh Season one, they set up a spinoff of Titans called Doom Patrol, and he plays a robot in Doom Patrol. He's in oh, a couple okay. of the episodes as himself, but most of the time he's a giant robot. All right. I've 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 seen every episode of Titans. I didn't know that Brendan Fraser was in Doom Patrol because I a couple of years ago, I read an article about like what happened to Brendan Fraser. And basically he was like the it, they interviewed him at his like Montana ranch where he's just been hiding out out of the public eye for the last 20 years. And apparently he just like raises cows and shoots his bow and arrow and just generally chills and doesn't want to do anything. And they asked him why. And he was like, just look at the 90s. I was in like four action movies a year. My body was held together with like uh, duct tape, ice packs and painkillers. And I just had to be in perfect shape. I was doing my own stunts. I was getting run ragged. My managers took advantage of me. They were like, oh, you'll be fine. They'll treat you better on the next one. And then they didn't. And he was just like, he was just like the perfect action heartthrob for like 10 years. And then he was close to death physically in real life. So he just quit. And I, I'm surprised to hear that he's back in something that that rules. That'll make me watch it. All right. Should we uh, switch topics to donations? Go for it. All right. I guess I'll be the bad guy. We received zero donations uh, last episode, and we actually received zero donations after our largest, most listened to episode, the Come On Wizards episode, just a few ago. We paid for SoundCloud hosting to host all of our audio files this week. We're pretty low on podcast funds, so if you appreciate what we do, if you like the content that we produce, please donate uh, at com and uh, support this podcast. I don't know if you guys have a better elevator pitch, but that's what I have. Now, this is the the NPR like annual. Hey, we need you to keep us on the air kind of thing. If you like this, uh, people have asked us before, make a Patreon so we don't have to remember to send you money and it'll just happen. Patreon takes a huge cut and like requires a bunch of extra work. So if you could just, you know, fire up the old PayPal while we're talking about it right now, that would be great. That'd be great. All right, office space reference done. Moving yeah. on. MTG okay. updates in. <laughs> I'm gonna need you to open up the PayPal. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Uh, yeah, Bryant, if you could, uh, if you could do those TES reports, that would be great. All right, since we're talking about the Epic Storm already, I'll get I'll dive right into my MTG updates. Uh, the epicstorm.com has been updated with all information for 11.6. If you're looking for card choices, cyborg guides, PDFs uh, for deck lists, whatever you want, it's on there. Go check that out. And then I watched a new page yesterday for donation decks. If you're interested in me playing your combo deck, uh, you can go to the epicstorm.com slash donation decks. And uh, what I find kind of cool is I've had some people reach out to me recently about how to make better YouTube content. And these aren't necessarily legacy players either. There's people that have seen my YouTube content through, you know, me expanding to other formats or whatever. And they're just like asking for advice, which is like kind of cool. 
Um, and I think one person that's changed how I think about YouTube a little bit recently would be Min from the Min Max blog. And Min sent me a video from some famous YouTuber that does like uh, just generic video games. But they talked about how they started growing a lot more on YouTube once they realized that YouTube isn't a place to dump your Twitch VODs. And the concept came to them when they realized that they could stream eight hours a day, every single day, but they would be, they'd have 16 hours of downtime all the time. And it wasn't good because you get burned out really quickly. And this person said, Hey, I only stream like every other day. Now, if that, uh, I upload to YouTube all the time, just YouTube exclusive content that actually generates more money than Twitch ever did for me. And just how Twitch is really saturated right now where YouTube isn't. So that's in the back of my head that like YouTube, the three of us are all YouTube content creators. I mean, Phil, you do some Twitch as well, but YouTube is like relatively unexplored still. I mean, Pleasant Kenobi is one of the largest people. Uh, Same thing with Tularian Academy or did I say that right? Community college. Community college. But for the most part, like YouTube is untapped by the magic community. And, uh, I think it's part of the reason maybe why Wizards of the Coast doesn't really care about YouTube content. Like, if you're not streaming Arena on Twitch, do you matter? Yeah, I ran into that this week. Uh, I I was like, honestly, every time a new set comes out and I see all the, like, the content creators who are in the circle get their, like, sweet Time Spiral remastered wooden collectible box with a Lotus Bloom plaque in it and shit, I'm always like, wait a minute. I spend like 30 hours a week creating magic content on top of my 40 hour a week job. How do I get that box? And like, even just like some like arena draft codes, like, or whatever, like how can I get wizards to support me? And I could not even get an answer from anyone about the, uh, content creator program. Like what is that what it's called? The wizards. Yeah. 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 Uh, and it seems like it's only for Twitch streamers who stream Arena. So I'm just like double whammied by making YouTube content for Legacy and Modern and Vintage. It's just like I literally couldn't even get someone in a chat or on the phone to tell me, no, we don't do that. <laughs> yeah, big pain in the ass there. Yeah, um, I do want to echo what Bryant said. Now that I'm producing content for youtube and now that i'm doing some minimal editing of like downtime out making thumbnails and stuff the youtube content creator experience is so much more pleasant than the twitch content creator experience because on twitch you're not really discoverable right and on youtube you are especially if you put work into it and so i am seeing just mountains of growth on youtube whereas my Twitch stuff, while very, very slowly ticking up, has largely been stagnant. That's one of the things uh, that video said, is that YouTube, because you are discoverable, people can search for what you make. Uh, You will gain subscribers on Twitch by doing more YouTube content. Just because people are going to see your content on YouTube, remember that, subscribe on Twitch, and slowly over time, it will boost both, like rising tides, all that good stuff. Oh, yeah, I, I guess this I'm the only one that this regularly applies to. But I don't know how many times I've heard the words, this is my first time catching you live, but I watch you on YouTube all the time. It's it's nice. We are not sponsored by YouTube, although I wish we were. I mean, YouTube does give us money, but not specifically to talk about it. 
All right. So I, I will hype anyone who gives me money. So the Eternal Glory Podcast is now sponsored by YouTube. Fuck man. We can slap a YouTube sticker on this. Let's go. Uh in all seriousness, who would we like to get sponsored by? Like dream dream sponsorship i i mean i imagine the new york mets would be high on brian's list are uh, we still I, allowed to swear if we get sponsored because like there's a few times per episode that we each drop it uh so i have learned from experience that i can turn it off it's just a conscious effort like when i'm on friendlier podcasts like i did ponder podcast and i've done some other like wider audience stuff i can in fact turn it off and I don't swear like this when I'm in work meetings either. Oh, so, yeah. I, I have I have teacher mode. Like, it's very easy to transition into that. Yeah, yeah. Though, just being from the American Northeast, uh, the, the New, New Jersey is where I grew up, like an hour between New York and Philly, North Jersey. And fuck is a comma. Like, it, it's, it's not its own <laughs> yep. word. It's just like, man, the weather outside today, fuck, it's hot. Like, that's a <laughs> comma in that sentence. Like, that's just how i talk and uh, i have not been appropriately punished for it to make it stop <laughs> all right so how are your mtg updates going brian like what have you been up to uh i just in general love magic right now uh i think that vintage has been pretty dope for a while i haven't played since Luris was unbanned i'll caveat with that but it's still uh, dope all right good I, I have trophies with uh, vintage legacy and modern decks over the last two, two or three weeks. They're all live on the channel. Like trophying on camera is kind of hard because you're you're a lot dumber because you're trying to narrate and do all the tech stuff. Uh, I actually trophied a league with Rug Delver where I submitted a 67 card deck after sideboard. I just like boarded all the cards in and forgot to board the cards out, and and still easily won that league. So that was. I, I'm just having a blast. Donation decks are through the roof because people are excited about magic and I get to play so many different decks because like people just come to me with these ideas and my donation queue right now is just full of like uh, I have like a Stifle Not Uro deck in the queue because like Uro and Dreadnought both like Stifle and then I have like Electrostatic Pummeler and Pioneer and just like everyone is excited like that deck was not playable when Teferi was in the format so just the recent bands have just opened up so many things and I'm stoked for it. Even draft is great right now. Like when my downtime magic, I don't play magic online. I play arena and I draft because I, I want to keep up my constructed collection for next time I'm on the pro tour. Hopefully that happens someday, but it helps a lot to have cards and called. I'm is a great limited format. My exciting news is that at the end of this month, uh, if my calculations are correct, it will be Friday, March 26th. I'll be at 250 YouTube videos, which is like a crazy milestone to me, considering that I didn't even really do this on purpose at first. It was just I was dumping Twitch VODs. And then here we are, like two or three years later, whatever it is, and I have 250 videos up and it uh, feels good. I'll probably do some sort of promotion around that. I'm still figuring out how I want to do that, but I'm excited for it. Uh my my Patreon has a lot of traction right now, which is not something I, I expected either. I just started a Patreon when the pandemic hit and I knew I couldn't play Magic for a while. But it actually has like, I think we're approaching like 30 patrons. I actually had to cap the donation decklist patron tier because I was running out of days of the month. 
Like I was going to have so many patrons who I owed a donation list to that I wouldn't be able to accept lists or play my own list ever in a month. And uh, <laughs> I had to cap that tier. Like Two videos a day. Yeah, it's like I can only handle 12 of you people and the rest of you get in the line. But uh, because I did that, I added discounts on donation decks to the lower tier. So everyone gets the cut. But yeah, and like my Discord's actually active. People are talking to each other about magic. And yeah, it's pretty cool that that's happening. Yeah, I have a Discord for my Twitch subscribers as well. And there's regularly great discussions in there and very regularly interesting deck lists. <laughs> yeah, I, I get some good deck lists that come through. Uh, the person who inspired me to make Teferi Vacation is one of my patrons, and uh, they they come up with some wild stuff. They're primarily a an EDH player, and they are primarily like, is it combo decks? Uh, Bryant would like this person, but they always come in with like, okay, so I have this combo that is in my like Joy Recommander deck. I would like to see it converted into Legacy, and I have to be the bearer of bad news in like ninety nine percent of situations. But that one percent of the time, you get to Fairy Vacation, and it's pretty exciting. And finally, this Magic: The Gathering update, Time Spiral remastered. Holy guacamole! I know Bryant doesn't like the the new frame. He doesn't like reprints no matter what the how sweet they are. But these old frame magic cards, I have spent I think $700 on pre-order singles. And that's without the thought seizes and without any foils. That's just the other cards I wanted. And that's not counting the two boxes I have on hold from my lgs either like i'm gonna be easily a grand deep on this set and i don't think i've spent a grand on magic in two years total so lsv tweeted out uh why can't all cards just go back to being this what if we fix the uh what is it called accessibility issues on the white cards because it's really the white cards are the problem like there's just not enough contrast for people that are visually impaired to be able to read some of the stuff like i have I think uh, when I went to the eye doctor this year, they said 30 over 20 vision. Like my vision is pretty good. Uh, And I have trouble reading the artists on the cards because the white is so close to the white of the frame. And that's like a pretty big issue. So we can't do that. So there has to be a way of fixing it somehow. Like there's probably some way they need to darken up the white frames a little bit maybe, but there's a way of making it happen. I just don't even know if Wizards wants to go back because as sweet as the old frames are, they're not bringing in kids. And that like that's the big thing. Like the old frames, they remind me of like 80s Dungeons and Dragons, which is sweet cuz like I like that stuff. But as a 12-year-old kid, if I had to pick a game, do I want to pick the thing that looks like it's from the 80s or do I want to pick something that looks like it's from my era, like a video game or whatever? Yeah. Do you want to pick the thing that it literally has Rick from Walking Dead on it? I mean, I love The Walking Dead, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so that, I I wasn't being sarcastic. Like, that was real. So my position is not in any way that the old frame is better. It's just that I like it because it's nostalgic to me. And uh, to um, further your point about the accessibility issues, the, it's not just the white cards. Like, because of uh, editing deep analysis and stuff where I have to put a lot of cards on screen over the course of the hour... I do a lot of, I spend a lot of time in Scryfall looking at all of the printings of every card that I might want to put on the screen to see which one is most lookatable. And it's always the newest one. 
just invariably, whatever the newest printing of a card is, is the best looking one from a readability standpoint. If you just pick a random card like Nature's Claim or like Cancel, something with a million printings, just go click through Scryfall. Even like same art, one year apart, the newer one will be better. They will have adjusted the green in the border just a little bit or like darken the, the text just a little bit and it will look better. And I, I feel that. And when I was ordering my old border containment priest, I was like, this card doesn't even have a name. And like, <laughs> they, they do look bad in a lot of ways, but they also just appeal to something in people like me. Like that is for me. And the set itself is for everyone else. Like for the newer people who just didn't get to draft Time Spiral, which was an amazing set. Like Time Spiral is also just full of bangers like Teleria West and Dryad Arbor and just a bunch of cards like Tarmogoyf that people want. So the rest of the set's for them. And then uh, you get Maniacs like me just dropping a grand on singles. I So when I started playing Magic, it was Invasion. And like a year went by, 7th edition happens, and then Odyssey... I should have this like ingrained in my head, but I don't. I completely forgot that flashback cards had the tombstone on them. And I've cast so many Cabal Therapies in my life. Uh, like, I have no excuse. But when they're like, oh, yeah, the tomb's back. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, th- those were there. Like, it's just been so long that it's not something I've thought about in years. Yeah. Back when they, they showed you at the top of the card that the card did something in your graveyard. They did that so when you fanned out your graveyard, you knew what you could do in there. It's just like super cool because this was before you could reorganize your graveyard. Yeah. Which well, you still can't do in Legacy. I was going to say, yeah. Does, you, you can in most formats. I could probably look it up, but does Icarid have it? I imagine it does. Yes. Yeah, it does. And now Stinkweed Imp does. I think that's so cool. Though it would tilt me that Golgari Thug and Golgari Grave Troll don't. So I don't think I would move in on that if I was a Dredge player, unfortunately. All right, Phil, we've been blabbering enough. What have you been up to? Um, My growth on YouTube is making me feel all warm and fuzzy on the inside. Like, I picked up about 500 subscribers in the last month, which makes me feel really good. The videos, my video view counts have been way more consistent. Like, people are taking the time to throw me a like when they watch the video now, and it's helping out a lot. Like, I had a video this week like break 5,000 views and it's still going. I have another one from today that's probably going to do the same. And it's just really validating to like start working on something and then like see the progress happen and keep happening and keep happening. And that's just made me feel so good about content creation. And Legacy is also fun while I'm doing it. So there's a lot of days where it's like, hey, I have two hours. Like, can I squeeze in a league today? I'm going to squeeze in a league today. I'm sure the both of you have noticed this, but so as you grow, you have your most popular uploads. It feels like my most popular uploads is all recent videos now, just because I keep on growing and growing and more people are watching the new stuff than any of the old stuff. So the stuff that I thought would never get past is now my fifth most popular video or whatever. Yeah, that's just the the law of averages. Uh, Like I, I briefly worked in door-to-door sales let me tell you about jobs that i am not cut out for but i did it for about two weeks and you literally just talk to as many people as you can in a day because some number of them will say yes it's not about selling any any one individual person but and then like 
as your sub count grows, then your early clicks grow, which gets you in the algorithm, then your impressions grow, then your clicks grow, and it's just self-feeding cycle. And yeah, having new videos that just are your most viewed videos because they're new is a good feeling. Um, so out, outside of the YouTube stuff, which I recommend my Hushbringer video, uh, if you're looking to watch one of mine in particular. Banned from YouTube for Hushbringer's big sexy mouth. Okay. <laughs> I need to tell this story <laughs> because otherwise that sounds weird. All right. So if you're not familiar with Hushbringer's art, uh, the primary thing in the foreground is like a little little fairy making like the little little hush symbol with the, the finger over the mouth. But in the background, there's just this giant pair of lips to the right of this fairy. And so I made a a thumbnail with this art and immediately got demonetized. And I was like, WTF? So I went and like looked at it and I'm like, wait, hold on. Do do they think those are like big old blowjob lips? Is this too sexy for YouTube? So I re-uploaded the thumbnail with like Phyrexian Dreadnought over the lips, and sure enough, that's what it was. Hushbringer is too sexy for YouTube. You heard it here first. I remember when that card came out. Uh, I remember going like, the art on that is terrible. It feels like someone just learned how to use Photoshop. Uh, not to bash the artist, but like, it looks very like high school Photoshoppy. Yeah, it looks like a t-shirt you'd get at the mall in 1995. <laughs> <laughs> and like, not in a store, like in a stand in the middle of the mall, like in the walkway. Right next to the three wolf moon shirts. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, I am going to have an article up on greensunzenith.com this week. Um, I did an article on the Death and Taxes versus Maverick matchup. So if you're in the mood to read about matches that last 50 minutes, check that out. Um, and otherwise, this section's going kind of long. So let me just end it by saying, be good to each other. Magic Twitter's been a little rough in various ways recently. You know, if you can do something that supports the community and prop it up, go for it. And if you're posting something that just is like dunking on people all the time, maybe think about not. Yeah, I do this cool thing that I learned through uh, trial and error where I type a tweet, then I think about it before I hit send. Just a little bit. Give it like five minutes to stew on that, then decide, like, is this important? And and then throw it away. I actually felt bad because uh, Todd Anderson, who uh, is is a, a friendly acquaintance of mine in the Magic Circles, we were both in the old Fahrenheit 451 Moto clan together back before he, he was famous or either of us had any results. And like, we've known each other a long time. And he just like stumbled into my mentions this week. Uh, we were talking about Dreadhorde Arcanist and he was like, the play patterns didn't seem that different to me than Stoneforge Mystic. I saw that. And instantly the legacy community <laughs> was just on it. And I was like, oh no, Todd, what have you done? I hope you mute this immediately. And I, I, I think he did because he didn't respond or do anything else after that saying that. So, <laughs> but yeah, the, the legacy community is just looking for someone to punch right now. And I'm not sure why, because legacy is great. Yeah. For, format's good. Get out there and play. Get off of Twitter, man. Unless you're looking for deck lists, in which case there's some wild shit out there. I've been playing a lot. Um, outside of, like, I've been finding time to play Legacy after I record other formats. I'm on one of the worst losing streaks I've been on in a while. Like, I'm at, like, 130 matches with a 50% win rate. Like, it's uh, brutal. Nature is healing. It's been rough. 
and I'm like, it's not even one deck or archetype. Like, I'm losing to everything. So, uh, haters out there, enjoy. <laughs> so, I, I don't mean to laugh. I'm obviously not a hater of the Epic Storm or Bryant. I, I like both of those things. But it remains a constant in my videos that if I go one and four with some shitty donation league, the one is the Epic Storm. I do not lose to the Epic Storm. And I actually, uh, I think it's going to release the same day as this podcast. I played Battle of Wits on the channel. And I lost more than I won. But you bet your ass I beat the Epic Storm. <laughs> um, I laugh. I, too, am also on a relative losing streak. I think I 4-1 with zombies somehow. And then I've had a lot of 1-4 results. Um, for reasons that I'll talk about in the ap- uh, the episode itself. Because, you know, Delver is, is good. Lots of Delver decks are good. Um, but so many of the donation deck lists I'm I'm playing right now are getting shit on by Wasteland and Stifle. It, like it's it's not close. The decks that are built with like suboptimal mana bases in the first place are on the struggle bus right now. It is it is brutal. Yeah, motherfuckers act like they forgot about days. <laughs> All right, so the topic for today. Delver didn't really go anywhere. We Last episode, we talked about how, you know, Legacy's wide open. You can play a bunch of different decks now. Like, you're no longer oppressed by Oko for a lot of strategies. Uh, I know Death and Taxes really appreciated that. But for the most part, Delver has been a tier one deck since 2011. That's a decade ago. Uh, it didn't go anywhere. Like, I don't... Some people on Twitter, when we were talking about Arcanist, were like, no... Blue decks will die if you get rid of Arcanist and Oko due to the other power creep. Are you kidding me? The Delver shell is so good. Um, so when oh, you... sweet summer child. Delver was good before it had Delver. It was good in 2008, three years before Delver was printed. It was a tier one deck then, and then it got uh, the perfect card printed for it, and the core shell remains intact. It just occasionally gets broken by something else. Yeah. So when you look at goldfish data right now, and the reason I want to mention this is I was talking to some people and they said, well, death and taxes is the top deck in goldfish. Technically, yes, it's four, 4.2%. But when you look at the decks under it, they're like 3.8%, 3.7%. And then you get to the Delver variants. It's rug Delver at 3.3, Wulura Delver at 3%, Grixis Delver at 2.5%, Bug Delver at 1.4. That's 11 or that's 10.2% total. So, these are different decks, but they're all the same archetype and same style. Uh, you get different flavors of Delver, but Delver itself is double what Death and Taxes is, and then some. So you get to pick your flavor, you know, your topping, but for the most part, Delver's still the king. Yeah, let me let me just ask this. If, if you were to pick a, a number and say, like, Death and Taxes is in the top X number of decks in the format... What is X right now? You mean for most played or best? Quality. Yeah, best. 10. Yeah, I would I would put it at somewhere between 5 and 10 as well. Like, I I got a couple of messages that were like, so D&T is the best format in Legacy. And my response was, what? No. And I laughed. I, like... The, the deck still has problems like we'll we'll talk about this later because like death and taxes is going to be something that's going to be good against Elver, but like the deck's not perfect right now 
I think perfect decks get banned, so that's probably good. Yeah. Well, they get something banned, at least. Yeah, Death and Taxes doesn't have any ban-worthy cards. We don't play good cards in that deck. <laughs> Ban Aether Vial. So this is a rhetorical question, but, like, are the different flavors of Delver good for Legacy? Like, is that something we want to see? Do we want to see four to five different versions of Delver running around? I so, like it, personally. Yeah. Yep. I think variety's good. It means there's real deck-building options. Your choices matter. Multiple things are viable. And I think what's really important right now is that since we're seeing multiple Delver decks and they all feel good, that means that the format just didn't get solved immediately. There wasn't a default, this is the best deck now, and I really like that. I've seen one drops this week that I haven't seen in a long time. Hex, Hex Drinker, Drinker, baby! Monastery Swift Spear. I've even seen a few Terramanders. Uh, it's been wild. Oh, I was on board for two or three of those. <laughs> <laughs> that that terramander <laughs> yeah all right um one caveat though i will say that it is hard as hell playing against delver right now because you don't know what they have you don't know if they're the stifle build you don't know if they're the uro build and those things are at two very different ends of the spectrum and trying to figure out what to play around right now is well, really tough. Ex yeah, ex except checkmate nerd because you can stifle your Uro trigger and play both. The league I five owed with for the channel had both. Yeah, it's pretty common now. But what's weird to me is I'm running into some people that are running him to Torok in their Grixis builds alongside Stifle, and I'm just sitting there going like, those cards don't even work well together, and I'm losing. Like I, I can't beat anything right now, so that's probably why. But I think that there's some deck building friction happening too, and we'll get to that. But Lister Wild. Yeah, and I don't think it's just the Delver decks that haven't settled yet. I, I would say the metagame more generally is still just absolutely wide open. Yeah, I mean, like your your question about are all these flavors of Delver good for Legacy? Like, are all these flavors of Blue Soup good for Legacy? Like now that you have to choose between like two or three colors and you don't just get all five. Like I've seen Bant, I've seen Bug. Uh, I think the Bug Uro decks are really good with, like, Intuition and Loam. Like, those decks seem really cool. And then uh, there's Bant decks with, like, Noble Hierarch and uh, and Hall Breacher. And there's versions without Noble Hierarch that just go a little bigger. And then you got your uh, traditional, like, Jeskai Miracles. Like, it's all out there. And uh, Esper is, is great. Like, Callum's Esper Mentor deck. Oh, baby, that's... It's like he's reached into my brain and pulled that deck out of it. Like you can do whatever you want, and it's all a little bit different, and all has different strengths and weaknesses, and that rules. I think we're actually seeing a little bit of a like a delay almost. So I hate to go back to Goldfish results, but Grixis controls the second most played deck according to Goldfish. I think in my 125 matches, I might have faced it twice, and I talked to a few other people. They're like, "Yeah, I barely faced that deck." The weird thing is, I think. Week one, it had a bunch of pilots. And then since then, it's been coasting and trickling down, but people are still playing it in here or there because it's the second deck in Goldfish. Like, it's weird to think, but Goldfish actually does have, like, quite a big influence over what people play and what people think about regarding formats. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, Goldfish and MTG Top 8 are, like, the first two places that come to mind for me to, like, cruise deck lists and kind of get a feel for where things are at. Yeah, I use Goldfish for everything. Like, if I just want to get a pulse of the metagame, or if I'm looking for a sweet deck through the 5-0s, or it's where I host my deck lists that are in embedded in the video descriptions on YouTube. 
like I love goldfish. Uh, when I'm when tournaments are happening and I'm making sideboard guides for Patreon, I screenshot goldfish like that nice spread they have with like the card image, and then I just like delete space underneath each one and put my board plan there. So you end up with this nice like goldfish grid of sideboard plans. Like, oh, that's a really neat great. idea. I like that. Yeah, goldfish is straight fire. I stole it from Tariq Patel, by the way. So uh, give him the real credit, but it's a uh, it's a really pretty way to lay out what people can reasonably expect in a metagame. So let me ask a question. Why are the Delver decks still putting up these results? To like, tell me why Delver's good. Sell me on why Delver is, you know, 10% of the format. Well, I, Phil said it. It there. Well, you said it and Phil said it. There's two things converging. One is that the uh, Delver days wasteland free counter magic card selection package is still intact. It just doesn't have raw card advantage anymore. And I felt that in my Delver League a lot. I played a match against Death and Taxes where I actually had to decide if I'm going to Lightning Bolt Mother of Runes or save the two bolts in my hand to go upstairs and try to race. And like that was a meaningful choice where like in a Dreadhorde Arcanist or Oka world, you just bolt the mom because you'll win later. But like that that was a meaningful choice to make. Uh, but that that shell is still intact. And then on the other end, the what's going on over there? What specifically are they up to? I haven't lost this many games to Stifle since like 2010. It's insane. Like Stifle is back. Like I, if I had to choose an it card in Legacy right now, it would be Stifle. Everyone's trying it. Phyrexian Dreadnought is <laughs> research, emerging from the depths and and it's playable again. Uh, people are stifling Uros, people are stifling Fetchlands, and it's just really good. Um, I I had this crazy turn in a league I played recently where I was playing Bug Uro with some stifles in it, and I had a I lined up a Flusterstorm, so I was like, they obviously have Stifle. When they cast a Cantrip, I'll Fetch, they'll Stifle my Fetch, and I'll Fluster their Cantrip and their Stifle, and we're done here. Like, that. that's a sweet line that I like to line up and but they had two stifles in their hand so it was like they cantrip i fetch they stifle i fetch to fluster they fetch stifle and then i had nothing and i was like oh shit i didn't plan for them having two stifles so that card is back and like you can play or like figure remembering how to play around stifle or for the the youngins among us learning how to play around stifle is a big part of the format again also here's the just casual reminder that sometimes you can't so like you have like let's say you have tundra and fetch land like you can play around stifle and then you expose yourself to wasteland there's a lot of situations like that where you have to make a play on your turn and so you like you make the coin flip like do i think they're more likely to have stifle or do i think they're more likely to have wasteland and then sometimes you're facing an ambiguous opener you're like opponent plays flooded strand pass and you're sitting on this fetch land and you're like, I really need both of these colors. What if they have stifle? And this week I said the words like, okay, if my opponent has stifle, they have it, but I need to fetch this here. And sure enough, the flooded strand was just indicative of a Delver deck and I got got. I think I'm going to yep. have a contrasting opinion here. Uh, stifle traditionally, and I'm talking historically in Legacy, has been a card that 
when the Delver decks are low to the ground, it's good. But as the format gets a little bit larger, that card ends up getting cut. And once the format gets solved, it's cut. Uh, some people are diehard stifle players and will always play the card. Can't help those individuals. But when we look at Brennan Six uh, Delver, when we look at Oko Delver, and there's been other examples in the past, like Deathrite Delver didn't really play it. Uh, there's some people that did. But Stifle's a card that gets cut. I think when these Delver decks get um, solved, like H.J. Kaiser took second in a challenge, lost to Death and Taxes, H.J. did not play Stifle, one of the few. But um, I think we'll see Stifle leave as the metagame becomes defined. I could be wrong. Maybe uh, the combination with Uro was good enough to make it stick around for once. But uh, I think maybe we won't have to worry too long. Yeah. Two, yeah. two weeks ago, I thought Stifle was going to be good for two weeks. And here we are, and it's still feeling pretty darn good. But maybe that's just a sign that like things are moving a little bit more slowly than normal in terms of figuring out the way the metagame is working. Yeah, I, that could be part of it. Uh, like the the metagame will probably adjust. Stifle usually does end up gone. Like the 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 joke a couple years ago of no bad cards, Delver. Stifle is the bad card they're talking about. That that's where that name comes from. It's no Stifle Delver. And like that will eventually rotate out when the meta uh, adjusts to it. But there is a giant X factor in Uro. Like, is this like mini Phyrexian Dreadnought interaction good enough to keep Stifle in your deck going long? Because the problem with Stifle is that in most matchups, it's not good after turn two or whatever. But when you can just have some crazy pivot on turn five, and now you have a six, six, then that's a different story. I'm not finding that I'm able to line up Uro and Stifle simultaneously very often. So I, I played two leagues with like a Dreadnought shell. And over those two leagues, I maybe did the Stifle Uro thing three times or something like that. I don't think that's super consistent. It's kind of a nice like, oh, I did the thing that happens every once in a while. But I don't think it's a game plan. Yeah, I don't either, for sure. It's just a thing that can exist in your deck that gives Stifle a little bit of staying power after it should be relevant. One interesting thing that, I mean, I'm boring, so I find this interesting. You can clip that if you want. Uh, Is that these Delver decks are running basics. Uh, I've been playing Legacy since 2004. In my mind, Delver decks do not run basics. But I'm seeing basic islands on almost every rug Delver list I'm seeing, which is just baffling to me. Because you're used to seeing, like, four Wasteland, three Trop, three Volk fetches. And we're seeing one basic island, one basic mountain. Like, it's just weird. Wow, cowards. Like, outside of straight up is it Delver, I can't imagine. And I have, in the past, in ancient times, played one basic island or one basic forest in Delver. And like there was a time where Blood Moon was a huge problem, and if you just stick Tarmogoyf, you win. So like Forest, there was a small argument, but you can't pick up Forest for days, which is a bigger argument. But it turns out the best argument is just don't even fuck around with that stuff. Like you're going to get Path to Exiled sometimes, and it's going to feel bad, but sometimes you're not going to be able to bring back your Uro, and that's going to feel worse. So like I, there are not many games in a three color delver deck where i would want to lead on basic island unless my hand just has two more lands in it which 
is not an exciting hand for a Delver deck. So it, it's just weird tension. I, I think sometimes you got to just take your medicine and play the best deck you can present and not worry about what your opponent's going to do. I think a lot of people are scared of Blood Moon right now, which I understand. I don't know. I don't feel like the Red Prison decks are one of the absolute best things to be doing in Legacy. I feel like Fair Blue still has a lot of game against you. And Wait, I... you mean Six Forces is good against the Chalice deck? <laughs> Six Forces is good against the Chalice deck. The various mid-rangey control decks tend to have things like Teferi that can bounce your lock pieces. Plague Engineer, which invalidates all your win conditions. Yeah. Like, I am the first person to, like, jam a league with Red Prison when I think it's good, but I, I haven't I haven't fired it up yet. I, I think it's fine. Um... And again, you see players like Basuda just like routinely doing well with the deck. Um, but I think it's too on everyone's radar right now to be the deck. Yeah, I'm seeing Hydro Blasts in sideboards. And the only reason for that is that you don't want to lose to Blood Moon. Looking at uh, some of the results from last week, the Legacy Showcase was over the past weekend. There was 20 copies of Blue Red Delver and 16 copies of Rug Delver in this event like it was everywhere especially when you looked at the uh top 32 it was just scattered full of blue red and rugged over which is part of the reason we're having this episode um and we covered over we covered a lot of the reasons why you would play this deck um but i think we talked about it in like the what ha would happen if dreadhorde was banned we said that deck gets to play Uro. it's just naturally the next best thing in legacy i think would you guys agree disagree yeah, I mean, sh shocked Pikachu face here, but the card that was like being considered by Wizards for banning in Legacy is is still good in the new format, right? Like we we all know Uro is good. That was well established in the previous metagame, but now playing Uro is a choice you make with like advantages and disadvantages to it. Yeah, I th I think that it's it opened up some really cool deck building. Like I mentioned the the bug Uro where you can like intuition for uro loam raven's crime out of a fair deck and that's just like boing eggplant emoji like i love that like i think that's really cool and that's gonna feel miserable when you're not ready for it you're gonna lose that game one but you board in rest in peace and their deck's bad again and that's just like metagame stuff and like i do think uro as just a powerful engine is cool when it's not when you don't have to Swords to Plowshares Dreadhorde Arcanist and you can save it for Uro, I think that's healthy and fun. Yeah, I, I felt like Uro is very answerable currently. Like, yeah, obviously it has games where it spirals things out of control, um, but I don't I don't feel like that card's problematic. I saw some people on day two of the format like getting their pitchforks out already and sharpening them, but I think we're good. Yeah, people have forgot about Graveyard Hate. So, uh, tomorrow at the time of this recording so it'll be already be out when you're all listening to this uh one of my patreon donation lists this month was esper extraction this person sent me a list with three surgicals and three extirpates main and i could i cut some number of those before i played six is too many but let me tell you i have not had this many opponents go off in chat as i have in this league uh like, I think the first match in that league, I'm playing against Bant Miracles, and I just 
main extract their Uro game one. They're, they just like play a turn three Uro, it goes to the graveyard, I extract it in the end of the turn. They said in chat, are you on drugs? Question mark, question mark, question mark. And then Surgical resolved and I saw they had no way to win the game. <laughs> like I, I think three or four of my five opponents got salty in chat and i'm i'm usually like between zero and one like most people don't rage on me on magic online so you know you're doing something right i ate a lot of euros so why don't we uh switch over a little bit and let's talk about like ways that you can possibly combat these double decks uh strategies not necessarily decks we will cover some decks but overall just What's what are good game plans versus these stifle uh Delbert X? Hold on, let me get out my bat so we can beat that dead horse about how good basic lands are. Do we want to yeah, start I'm there? I'm just dusting off my soapbox here. Uh, I keep it on hand in case anyone asks me about basic lands in Legacy. Uh <laughs> coming to you from the person who cut Tundra from his miracle decks when they printed Prismatic Vista. Let me tell you. <laughs> basic lands are dope. But you should play one Tundra. Zero is too few. <laughs> That's the, the biggest thing is basic lands are amazing, uh, which it baffles my mind because there's some individuals you know online talking about how control decks aren't good anymore. And then I look at their decks. They're playing four colors and losing to Stifle Wasteland. And in my head, I'm going, you know, like classic miracle seems really good right now, but it just doesn't seem like enough people are playing it. So this week I received a donation deck list that was a four color deck list that included four wasteland and the donor was on stream with me. I started doing the deck tech and I started saying like, all right, here's what I think the problems are with this mana base. And the donor just stopped me and they're like, please, before you begin playing the league, fix my mana base. I didn't realize how greedy I was being. Yeah, let's start by cutting two colors. Yeah. For sure. So the the big problem with straight up blue white miracles, even if we're talking like little splash, like you have some rebs in the sideboard, like I still call, consider that blue white for the most part, uh, like the blue white core miracle shell is that is a true control deck that is not going to cheese wins. You're not going to get anybody uh, like Monastery Mentor can like blow out a fair player like Maverick or DNT, like backed by a force. Like you can get your, some cheesy wins that way. If you're main decking back to basics, that might get you something. But in general, you're going to be playing long 10, 12, 15 turn games. And in a wide open format like this, it's hard to answer everything that's going to happen over a series of 15 turn games. Like blue white miracles thrives in a small meta game, not in a big one. Like, that's just part of the problem that's why we're not seeing them right now uh decks we're seeing like bant miracles that can pivot into like hall breach or days undoing when they need to be proactive and i while i'm not sure if that's great or the best thing you can be doing like in a vacuum in context of let's get this game over with let like if you're gonna fart around with this new format i'm gonna kill you your deck needs to have that eject button on it so blue-white miracles might be a ways away. It'll take somebody with brilliant meta prediction to to do well in a tournament with that right now. So I'm, I'm going to skip around a bit, but like since we're talking about it, I think a lot of those Bant miracles and miracles adjacent decks need to start stop farting around with days undoing and just play more good cards in those slots. 
Like, as as a person who is usually playing fair non-blue decks, every time I see a Hole Breacher, I'm like, okay, you have a 3-2. And every time they have a Days Undoing in their hand, I don't, I don't care about that card the vast majority of the time. Like, from my perspective, those cards individually have looked very bad. Like, the blue decks have access to so many great cards. Why not play more Mentors, more Teferis, more Uros, or whatever, and, and cut that package? So, to I'm going to disagree with Brian a little bit. I think the Hole Breacher package is a lot better in a solved metagame, because the Days and Doing combo package is better when the format's really blue. It is not as good when the format has more non-blue decks in it. Uh, just because of the reasons that Phil said, where Phil doesn't care about a whole breacher unless there's a days and doing coming behind it. But Phil's decks have removal, especially when your deck has so few targets. And then on top of that, like the Bant decks, they have such bad mana bases. Like I've seen screenshots where people are, have like a Caracas, a basic plains, a basic forest, like Mystic Sanctuary and two islands. Like it's disgusting. The Mystic Sanctuary greed is very interesting to me like i think that card is good putting terminus back on top of your library is like such a gut-wrenching bad feeling from my side of the battlefield usually that i get wanting to have that but i've seen a couple of like double mystic sanctuary forest caracas basic plains sorts of things sometimes with a wasteland in there too and i, I don't know man i don't like it yeah the number one comment I get on my shark still and like Mon Shark and like those sort of videos is what about Mystic Sanctuary? It's like, bro, I have three basic planes and a Caracas in this deck <laughs> and I, I need to curve out. Like I want that Teferi on three. I want standstill on two. You can't play a ETB island, you know, like ETB tapped island. It, it, and it's like frequently the difference between winning and losing a game with a, a blue-white core control deck, happens on turn three when you hit that land drop or not. Like, I, I will usually, like, y you anyone who watches my shit hears me say it all the time, like, Island Ponder, that's a keep. I will keep any hand with Island and Ponder in it in a blue-white control deck. And that's because I'm counting on my generally high land count and Ponder to find me the next two lands. And if it doesn't happen, you could lose. So, like, if that third land that sticks the Teferi, that gets the cantrip, takes the pressure off, digs for the fourth land, enters the battlefield tapped because it's Mystic Sanctuary, like, get out of here. That's bad deck building. You deserve it. Like, when I was sp spending my $1,000 on Time Spiral Remastered pre-orders, I almost didn't buy Mystic Sanctuaries. I figured at 8 bucks I couldn't really lose, but I, I did get two of them, but I'm unlikely to ever play them because I just don't think that card makes sense. You're going to win the end game with a control deck. You need to survive the early game. And that's just a crushing end game engine that, you know, like, put Monastery Mentor in your deck. It'll do the same thing and also be good sometimes. How do you, the two of you feel about a deck like Grixis Control? A deck that has worse mana, but better cards at pounding Delver into the ground. I played against Delver, um with with paper magic when i was a guest on one of the streams recently um like culligan's command is is a thing of like legacy past right like we we know how powerful that engine is returning your baleful strix like always going and getting those two for ones and sometimes more that strategy is powerful i don't i don't know that i'm in love with grixis right now 
because sometimes your your removal doesn't answer the creature correctly when you're on lightning bolts and your opponent has a large-ish Tarmogoyf or something of that nature and your removal doesn't actually re remove the thing, that's awkward. And people are very cognizant of the existence of Plague Engineer right now. So I don't know that you're always getting like your two-for-ones with Plague Engineer like you might want. I think Grixis yeah, is gonna, fine. I'm going to point a finger with extreme prejudice at Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath. Grixis can't remove that card meaningfully without boarding in like graveyard hate. Like they need to bring in surgical to answer that thing long. There's no plow. Like th that's that's it. And they don't get to play it themselves. And like if you get into a game where like you're working hard to like Baleful Strix, Colagon's command returning Baleful Strix, like if that's where your two for ones are coming from, versus cast Uro trigger bring back uro trigger you fatal pushed it sure i'm up three cards bring it back trigger like grixis cannot beat that end game and grixis is notoriously horrible at clocking like generally they want to win with that baleful strix and that snapcaster mage and uro gains three life that undoes an entire turn of baleful strix and snapcaster attacks and those attacks are not coming in quick like i think that uro is the the giant goalie keeping Grixis control from its like 2017 level dominance where it was just in every GP top eight. Like I, there, there is a, a one card problem creature for that. And until they figure that out, uh, that's going to be a problem. I think Calum's deck actually is Grixis control with her removal spells that can answer her. Yes. Uh, I would agree with that assessment. Uh, it's, it's the, the cantrip suite, him to Tarak, etc but instead of k command he has monastery mentor and instead of fatal push he has plow and that is just better because mentor can actually bully an uro like that's a creature that can overpower uro triggers just on raw stats uh and like so it it, it functional like i said grixis doesn't have uro esper doesn't have uro either but it has mentor which does a very similar thing uh, so uh, I think that Callum's deck was built very smartly for the metagame. Grixis just feels beatable to me. Like a lot of times I feel like they strict, they stick one of their premier cards and it's just like, okay, I have six turns. Like they, they stick a Liliana the Last Hope. That doesn't end the game for a long time. And I don't know if that's where you want to be right now. So to switch modes a little bit, uh, let's talk about strategies that you can use to beat delver other than decks uh like control decks with good mana so one thing that i'm finding is a lot of these decks are playing stifle and that's fair like outside of h.a kaiser most of them have stifle um but they're playing cards that baffle me like him alongside stifle like if you're running a stifle deck you, you want more cards that allow you to leave your mana open which is why you tend to see Spell Pierce instead of Thoughtseize in those decks. If you're running Stifle, Thoughtseize can be a little you know, awkward because you're not um, protecting yourself on multiple axes. So it's really weird to me when I see uh, really expensive cards like True Name Nemesis with Stifle. Uro with Stifle. Granted, Uro works well if you Stifle it, but these are really mana and time consuming plays. So when your opponents do decide, Hey, I need to eventually play my clock. That's when you use your fetch lands. Like one of the biggest mistakes I see is people not being patient enough. 
uh, or feeling that they're pressured to fetch into this stifle. Uh, a lot of times I'll just sit there and take a couple beatings from a Delver if I know that I'm going to be able to get a spot or I'm going to take advantage. Yeah, I've encountered some of this too, where like your opponent is playing Stifle and they're also playing Hex Drinker. And there's a very real choice there to be made about like how your mana is going to be using and what fight you're playing in that specific game. So there's there's definitely holes that you can take advantage of now. I don't know how long those holes are going to be there for, though. Like, I think we're going to have a bunch of different viable flavors of Delver, but I think the lists are going to tighten up real quick because the decks people are playing right now are good. Well, not me specifically, but most normal people. Well, Phil, I think you're half the blame. I faced False Cure three times this week. <laughs> Uh, so people are out there just running wild decks, and uh, you're usually the culprit. Yeah, I I am very frequently at fault for some of the bullshit in leagues. I'm I'm not gonna say I'm sorry because like I'm causing people to have fun, um, but I'm definitely obliterating play points other than just my own. <laughs> so uh, speaking of Phil uh, ruining the format in my Delver league on the channel, uh, the two best most memorable and genuinely most difficult matchups that I beat were Death and Taxes, which is not a surprise, and Esper Curses. It was like Esper Dead Guy L Curses. And I don't know, Phil, I don't know if you've streamed that deck or if you made that deck or if it came from you, but it felt like a Phil deck when I was playing against it. Yeah, that's that would be one of my regular followers and supporters. Yep, we had a phenomenal match. Uh, and guess what you stifle haters i won the match by stifling a cruel reality trigger to get in for lethal before oh, my baby. creatures got sacrificed all right phil i think we've come to the point of the episode where you tell us that death and taxes isn't good or something like that right i mean death and taxes is good i don't know that it's great so i think death and taxes is really good against delver and it's really good against most flavor of delver um of the various things running around right now, I'm probably most afraid of Blue-Red Delver with Sprite Dragons. That deck pressures you really hard and has reach. Um, that's probably what I'm most scared of, because Death and Taxes will take over the games when they go long, and you give us time to do our stuff. You mean the 12 basic planes is good against the Wasteland deck? that has? Yeah, it's also, weird. Death and Taxes doesn't have a whole lot of stifle targets. Like, there's some, but... For the most part, there's not many. Yeah, the difference is the stifle targets aren't in the early game, right? The stifle targets are in the late game instead, when you're stifling Flicker Wisps and Recruiters and Stone Forges and things like that. And a lot of times Delver is using stifle to get the opponent off balance in the early game. And you're just like, Plains, Mom, Plains, Thalia. And the stifle looks really bad against those sorts of hands. Going back to the reach thing. That's why I'm always hesitant whenever people like claim that Bug Delver is the best variant for any period of time. Like it certainly happened when broken things like Deathrite Shaman happened, but Deathrite was a black reach spell. Um, whenever Delver doesn't have reach, I feel so much more comfortable. Like when I don't have to worry about dying out of nowhere, it's really nice. Yep. Yeah. I, every time I'm playing against Delver on the channel, I'm like, uh, we're good we're good we're good at 17 we're good at 14 we're good at 11 all right we got to stop this thing before we're at eight like i i want to be 
comfortably above six life. Like I want to be the double bolt range plus two or three fetch lands as the game goes on before I actually feel good about my position against Delver. And Bug, you just don't care. Like you could be a one. It's the same thing. All right, Phil. So uh, you mentioned that Thassa's Oracle decks are a problem for death and taxes, and that's why it's not the best deck in the format. Do you want to elaborate on this at all? Yeah, so matchups like Doomsday and Oops All Spells, generally speaking, are really quite difficult, and there often aren't great sideboard cards to deal with those things without playing a bunch of things that are either too narrow or like hurt you in some way. I haven't fired this off yet, but if I was like seriously testing DNT for an event right now, I might think about like messing around with some hush bringers or something in the sideboard. And I know that's absolute crazy talk because of like how many ETB creatures are in this deck in the first place. But Thassa's Oracle specifically is a huge problem. The issue with something like Hushbringer, though, is that it costs two mana, and that's still slow. So then you're also needing things like Deafening Silence to get to turn two. Well, so that's actually something I wanted to talk about. So when you look at the combo decks in the format right now, Doomsday's like really high up there. It's a really good deck. Death and Taxes doesn't play meaningful cards for it, which is so strange to me. Like I would be maxing out on Spirit of the Labyrinth right now. Because, like, it's really good against the Delver decks. Uh, at least they have to bolt it, which means your Thalia Libs or something else. Because the deck has no card advantage, like Brian said. So that means that these Ponders and Brainstorms matter way more than they ever did before. And, you know, Spirit's really good there. Hushbringer makes a lot of sense being a Torbor Orb. We're not seeing those cards. Like, Spirit of the Labyrinth is, like, what, a two, sometimes three of? And, like, yeah. Hushbringer doesn't see any play. But meanwhile, they're playing Deafening Silence and Mindbreak, which are amazing against me. But, like ant this weekend five pilots zero match wins uh so like ts isn't doing well ant's not doing well why don't you adjust some of these cyborg cards and i know it sounds disingenuous coming from me but people aren't fixing their problem matches like deafening silence and mind break i get screenshots from max carini wonder pro all the time of him beating these cards just being like nice planes deck yeah um so one of the big issues with spirit of the labyrinth specifically right now is that there's a good amount of plague engineer in the format or at the very least you need to respect plague engineer as being a very real card that you're going to regularly face and death and taxes has a lot of x ones already and when you pile a couple more spirit of the labyrinth into your main deck you end up really soft to things like plague engineer and fork bolt and lily last hope in a way that costs you a lot of percentage points elsewhere. So I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second. Yeah, go for it. Uh, aren't you happy if they're naming spirit? Not really. So like, if you lose a spirit, and then the plague engineer is also around to trade with one of your other relevant bodies, like, that that's still a really strong body blow. Like, you, you took a massive hit there. Like... I know the dream is often like, oh, you just name it on human and it shuts off a huge portion of the deck. But the reality is like a plague engineer hitting on human is great. It hitting on an elemental and stopping a lot of your shenanigans ends up being great too. Uh, the body that it leaves around afterwards, even if your call is wrong, is is just good. Yeah, plus the that plague engineer on spirit 
represents like a reversal of virtual card advantage. Like the the spirit arrives, shuts down the cantrips in their hand and any they draw until they remove it. But then when the plague engineer does arrive, it's like bang, 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 make it rain. My hand is now perfect. So there's like there there's some push and pull with that where like, yeah, you, you might have to pass up a two or three for one to get the one important thing out. But that one important card is worth all of those bodies in play most of the time. Yeah. And, and another thing here, like some people are toying with bringing Phyrexian Revoker back into the deck. Like that's another X one, right? That one is less of a plague engineer problem because, like, you know, if you hit a one of and for naming horror, like, okay, sure, that one's that one's fine for sure. Um, some people are trying Revoker as a way to have a little extra game versus Planeswalkers in game one, or you know, have another relevant card versus Red Prison. But couldn't you run some of these in the board? Like if Doomsday is yes. the boogeyman, like you could be boarding some of this stuff, right? Like it doesn't necessarily have to be in the main deck. Um, I don't, these are just random thoughts and I could be completely wrong. Yeah, I've played two Spirit of the Labyrinth in the sideboard in a lot of Death and Taxes lists and be, been relatively happy with them. Isn't Doomsday just getting pounded by this Stifle metagame anyway? You'd think it's still putting up a lot of results. It's just the deck has so much interaction, and uh, at some point they started to play Fosterstorm in their Doomsday piles, because like, for a long time that deck just wasn't playing Fosterstorm. And now the way that it works is when you sacrifice uh, your Lion's Eye Diamond, you're drawing Oracle and Foster. I got got by that this week. <laughs> I thought I was so safe. Um, Kind of following up on the the death and taxes a bit i haven't felt like i've seen a good death and tax well all right let me phrase that i don't felt feel like i've seen the death and taxes list yet like there are plenty of lists that look fine to me but i haven't felt like anyone's really figured out what the deck should look like yet the sideboards feel like a mess i don't really know that anyone has like found a great configuration of like main deck creatures either and people are, all, as always, doing various levels of greed with their mana base in the main deck. I've I've seen some people experimenting with some things that are cool. I saw one person messing around with a red splash just for Magus of the Moon. And I think it was like mostly off caverns or something like that. That one raised an eyebrow because like the Blood Moon effects are good in the metagame. And no one is currently thinking about red death and taxes. Like, I thought my opponent was on humans for a while, and then I lost to Magus. Like, that was the sort of thing that was going on. So, I don't know. I really like Death and Taxes for challenges right now, where you're expecting to play against just a pile of Delver decks. But I don't feel gung-ho about leagues with it. So, Death and Taxes has this, like, a strange cousin, right? Um, plays a, a splash color. Yeah, I like that cousin. That I mean, I, pick, I picked that... <laughs> yeah i mean we know i love that deck that deck i think is like up to like seven or eight thousand views on my youtube now like people are still watching that opposition agent dead guy ale list video all the time i literally forgot opposition agent is a card until you said that just now that has not appeared once in this new metagame wow all right continue with your your friend of death and taxes this mysterious friend yeah good, good old maverick um so Last episode, I think that was my pick for something that I would be experimenting with if I was testing for a tournament, and I still feel pretty strongly about that. I, I feel like 
a deck with good solid mana and a good anti-Delver game is an okay place to be right now. But I think Maverick has a lot of the weaknesses that Death and Taxes does against these same sorts of like Thassa's Oracle decks and fast combo decks. It's worth noting that Maverick can play Thoughtseize, which helps a little bit. Um, that said, their mana base is a little bit weaker to Wasteland and Stifle, but they gain the huge butt, gigantic booty of Night of the Reliquary. Yes. Um, Let me tell you, I, I was playing against Four Color Loam, which is not Maverick, but it's also a Night deck with, with Rug Delver the other day, and I... I was using the base of Rich Callie's list that he's been posting, and it doesn't have Submerge in it. Uh, he, there's two Brazen Borrowers and a Dismember, and that knight came down as a 6-6. Six, six. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, <laughs> there is nothing here that can win the game except clocking them over the top. Like, I need Delvers, right meow. <laughs> and that's all I got. Uh, that, that was a uh, welcome to the format kind of moment for me. I have no idea whether or not the Maverick decks are supposed to be green-white or um, junk right now. Because, like, Plague Engineer is great. I think having access to Thoughtseize and Discard is really strong, too. But, like, Solid Mana is so good. I, 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 I haven't come down on either side of that equation yet for Maverick specifically. When the format first, you know, developed, I was like, you know what? I'm going to shave a couple carpets. I'm going to go down... And now I'm just slowly adding carpet by carpet. Like by this time, two weeks, I'll probably have added number four right back into the sideboard. I'm playing three right now, but just Delver's never going anywhere. We're stuck with it. It is the ex-wife with the alimony check or something like that. Some bad joke. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said at the beginning of this episode, I think that Delver is a healthy legacy deck. It's just always on the edge of breaking. Like, it's always a Deathrite Shaman, a Gataxian Probe, a Renin Six, an Oko, a Dreadhorde Arcanist away from breaking. It, it, it exists on that Razor's Edge. And, like, I think I've made this point on the, the channel before. Like, when Death Shadow broke in Modern, that first GP where it, like, all three of the people who played Death Shadow made top eight, and people were like, oh my god, ban this card. If the best deck in your format is a creature deck an interactive creature deck like that's okay that that's fine that's not that's not a a format that is necessarily unhealthy so i i like when like good back and forth decisions are relevant no snowball horseshit delver is viable for what it's worth i'd like to clarify i'm not saying that Delver should have something banned or anything like that. I'm not claiming that at all. It'd just be nice if we had, like, a short sabbatical. <laughs> but like the, the historic watch list on Arena. <laughs> like what, When they, like, shadow ban cards for a little while just to see what the format looks like, and then they officially ban it later. Just, all right, Delver, uh, maybe, how about this? You should begin a, a campaign on social media to ask people in a, a gentleman's agreement not to play Delver in an upcoming challenge. Oh, like Mystical Tutor. Just, yeah, nobody gets to play Delver. All right, better idea. What if instead of doing that, we get everyone to play Belcher in a challenge? Oh, wait, we already did that one. Rats. We have to pick a different deck. 
All right. So this last deck I'm going to suggest, uh, I'm not actually sold on it being good, but people are talking about it being good again. Lands. And I think the only reason you could argue that lands is good again is Punishing Fire has been unlocked. The big uh, threats of the format that were there being Dreadhorde had three butts. Elks had three butts. The Planeswalkers, you know, gained a lot of loyalty. Is lands good? Um, Jarvis has said for a very long time that that deck has an awful mana base. It runs like one basic, not as many lands as it should. Um, I'm actually not super sold on it being great, but people say it is. Am I wrong? I haven't lost any flavor of it yet. Uh, be it four color loam, actual red green lands, uh, even even depths like post ban world. I have not lost to any of those decks. The only loam decks I'm losing to are the ones that are dredging Uro. And the big part of that is force of negation. Just that card existing as a main deck graveyard hate that isn't embarrassing in other spots. Like when you're when your scavenging ooze can also counter Chalice of the Void. Like that's just such a, a magic card to have access to. And Force of Negation has never existed independent of some broken Delver horseshit. Like it was in the same set as Ren and Six, and then when Ren was gone, we were already into Oko and Dreadhorde Arcanist. Like we haven't had just fair force of negation going up against Loam decks before. And it has come up a number of times where like I, I played Loam once, and I was like, if they force of will this, it's fine. If they force of negation it, we lose. And I've been on the other side where I force negation in hand. I'm just like, well, it's going to be hard to lose this one. Like my, my board is two Delvers, and they're at 10 life, and they have two Grove of the Burn Willows. But I don't even care if they draw Punishing Fire because it's gone. So that's a big deal. Um, Callum's Esper list that we've mentioned a couple times already, it played three force of will and two force of negation. So he made the conscious decision that the hardcast ability and the exile clause are worth more than countering creatures, which is really interesting. Like that's the sign that somebody did the math and, and built a good deck. It's also the fact that Callum's deck just pounds creatures into the ground, like swords, yeah. strix, snap, like of one mind. The of one mind end game too is just brutal. Like, you draw an of one mind, it draws you into a second, and then all of a sudden you have just buried your opponents in cards when you were otherwise at parity. Yeah, the, the fucked up thing that really got me was, like, you fire off an of one mind, maybe even you pay full cost for it on, like, turn four or five, and then, like, three turns later, you have a Baleful Strix, and then you Snapcaster of one mind for one. And it's like, oh, baby. Uh, get it in. That... Yeah, I, I I don't want to go on a full side tangent about how beautiful that deck is. But yeah, uh, Force of Negation being an actual deck building choice and not just more Force of Wills is a really interesting deck building space too. Um, Kind of talking about the other portion of lands that's really popular, the Punishing Fire portion. I'm not sure that that hits enough things in the format right now. Like... Goyf is pretty common. Sprite dragons are often getting out of Punishing Fire range pretty quickly. There's still other delve threats around, like Garmag Angler, Mandrels, the, the good old whale, too. Like, Punishing Fire doesn't kill Uro. There's, there's a bunch of relevant things that Punishing Fire misses that makes me not want to be trying to use that as part of a lock engine. I don't think the whale's any good, but 
your point still stands. I I also think the whale is loose, but I, I'm seeing a lot of it. The so which loops us back around to trusty old blue white miracles. When people remember rest in peace as a card, all this Uro shit, all this loam shit, all the punishing fire shit, the, these delve threats, this whale, they're all gone. This, don't forget about rest in peace. It might be time to bring back energy field. Let's just do that. Though there are a lot of abrupt decays in the format right now, so maybe I, not. But rest in peace. I is didn't great. put it in the show notes, but it's gonna tickle Brian's fancy. I think elves is secretly a top three deck right now, and there's not enough pilots. You can't lose to Delver in game one. If you can find a way to beat the two of Rough Tumble in the board, I think that deck is going to be very, very good. Yeah, Elves is insane. Uh, that deck just... I think it has been a top-tier deck this whole time. Like I think it has uh, secretly been great against even the, the fully-powered Rug Delver deck. Uh, Snoko had the Plague Engineer, but that's it. I mean, that's a big but, but it is... That's about all they had. Elves is a better card draw deck than the control decks. It's a better aggro deck than the aggro decks, and really plague engineer is the 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 only thing checking it right now because the addition of allosaurus shepherd really like the chalice decks that used to be kind of tough are just not anymore and uh like the even the blue decks like you they build up that handful of counter magic and then you, you just sequence your your shepherd into natural order they're faster like, now. I, i've been losing a lot of games like i lose to elves yeah because they don't have to respect counter spells at all well, I, i'm losing just... to elves more often than ever like in I, I haven't gotten much slower so i think the elf sex have sped up due to playing uh nettle sentinels again for a long time they were cutting them and they became like this turn four deck i can't tell you how many times i've passed the game on turn two after playing claw only to have my elf player murder me on their turn two yeah there's been the uh for those of you who are not up to date on the elves uh evolution, there has been two firm camps for a while, and it's the Julian Nab get him dead camp and the Hello Newton let's kind of be Maverick camp with like Elvish Reclaimer and like a small toolbox of lands and just you're basically mono green maverick with a combo kill. But the Julian build that's just like four Shepherd, four Heritage Druid, four Nettle Sentinel, I want to tap Heritage Druid for mana on turn two every game. Like, that's the deck that I think is good. Agreed. Like, the one that the one that has no respect for counter magic and can kill you before Plague Engineer comes down. Um, I saw a screenshot. I think it was Julian that he was playing like the green ley line that gave your elves or your creatures, I guess, like plus oh plus one or something like that Abundance. to make sure that they yep. live. Yep. Yeah, that's right. So that they live through Plague Engineer. It's like a Soul Warden too, right? It's like a Soul yeah. Warden that gives all your creatures plus O plus one. Yeah. I, I I like the ideas being explored. I don't know that I get to call it good because I haven't seen it in action, but I, I like what's going on there. I mean, Spider Silk Armor is an expensive card on Magic Online because it is in every popper green deck to beat the electricaries of the format. So uh, the, this tech has a strong pedigree in other Eternal formats. All right. Do we have any final sleeper picks? Well, I mean, 
we ha we haven't rambled on for two hours yet. So let me bring up something that was in the show notes that we didn't explicitly cover. What do you all think of like Stoneblade decks right now? Uh, I don't like them. It's just Dreadhorde Arcanist, right? <laughs> it's the same play. You pattern. shouldn't make fun of your friends, Brian. No, no I, I'm not. It's just it. It is funny how similar those two cards look on the surface and how completely different they are. And I'm not going to you know, dig into that because Dreadheart Arcanist is gone and we don't need to talk about it anymore. Uh, though I'm glad I didn't have to buy that card in alt frame. Uh, oh, I lied. I did. I bought it for vintage. Yeah. It was much cheaper than it would have been otherwise. Uh, so the thing about Stone Blade is that when the whole format is ready to pound on creatures or is like playing stifle like stifle is a functional removal spell for a stoneforge mystic uh if if you have the stifle when it arrives uh you can buy a lot of tempo stifling the put the batter skull in trigger you could stifle the germ token trigger you can stifle an equipment like the when they go to invest the mana to equip their sort of fire nice you can stifle that like stifle plays real good against stoneforge mystic and Stoneforge Mystic just takes us back to that simpler time where, like, whereas Dreadhorde Arcanist arriving on two was like, this has to die now. The Stoneforge Mystic, you see what they got. That tells you a lot about their plan. It's like, okay, they got the Batter Skull. So I can decide if I want to beat this Stoneforge Mystic now. Or if I'm holding, like, Ancient Grudge, maybe I'll just wait for them to deploy the Batter Skull. If they get, like, Jitte in a matchup. It's like, okay, they are planning on putting this on something and then connecting with it. That's a four mana plus an attack step that I have to maneuver through this. I can overload my room. I can just save my removal to pick off whatever they equip, or I can try to remove the Stoneforge now. And like you get Stoneforge kind of dictates how a game goes, but in a way that is interesting. And honestly, I don't think very good. Like, uh, Lightning Bolt, Abrupt Decay, Stifle, Fatal Push. Just this is if you want a dies to removal argument, Stoneforge Mystic is it. Yeah, this is something that I feel like I saw people messing around with for a couple of days, and then I just didn't see it anymore, basically at all. Like I saw some initial lists that looked kind of cool, like people were busting out like Stoneforges and Bobs and. I saw the Ethereal Forager in a, in a Stoneblade shell, which I think I liked better than seeing it in a lot of other shells. Like, rebuying, like, a Discard spell, a Cantrip, and a Swords to Plowshares all at the same time, so you have that range was pretty cool. And, like, you had good targets for the early game, so it just wasn't getting removed on site because you weren't playing other creatures. But I I haven't run into a stone blade list in the last maybe week week and a half probably so i think the real weakness of stoneforge mystic just at the macro level is plague engineer like the game used to be like i'll test you with my stoneforge mystic if you answer it that clears the way for my true name nemesis but that card is not very good anymore and like stoneforge mystic is not a plan Stoneforge Mystic as a test spell is phenomenal. Like that Esper Curses deck I played against, that was a Stoneforge Mystic deck. 
Like I actually thought they were Esper Stoneblade for one and a half games until they suddenly hit me with a curse of misfortunes because I had wasted all my energy dealing with the Stoneforge Mystic and the equipment and I was just out of gas. Like that is a plan. Like you got to have a round two. You need that Stoneforge Mystic. You need that Jace to follow up once they've answered your two drop. But with with uh, clean answers and like things like Uro just overpowering something like True Name Nemesis, like forget about Plague Engineer. Uro blanks True Name Nemesis. They they just stare at each other, and it's actually worse than that because Uro can crunch into True Name, gain three life, draw a card, and then just get blocked. And do it again next turn. So Dream Nemesis is not what it once was. And you're going to need some kind of backup plan. Like Maverick uh, following up with Knight of the Reliquary. Uh, Stone, or, uh, Death and Taxes having the Flick Wisp and the other stuff to complement it. But just blue-based Stoneblade does not seem good right now. A deck that I thought was going to do really well in the showcase that just didn't show up was Hogak. We talk about that deck every couple episodes, I feel like, because it's the secret blue killer. And with Delver being a large portion of the competitive metagame, you know, you'd think there'd be some people wanting free wins with Hogak. Is the format too wide right now for a deck like Hogak to exist? No, I I don't think so. And it's weird that I'm mentioning him twice in one episode when I've never talked about him before, but I'm sure if Tarek Patel was playing in a legacy event this weekend he would be on hogak like there are people there are believers uh like i know hogak is supported a lot among the star city grinders uh, who many of whom have sort of fallen out of relevance over the past year when there were no star city events but i i don't know if they're going to come back or if they went and got jobs or what but i know that uh like dom harvey is a big hogak believer and uh like cat light and the that group of people are on that hogak train and i'm sure that if you have a mind that's interested in playing hogak anyway you could find the spot but if you're just a legacy player and trying to have fun in this new open world your brain isn't like oh yeah hogak so i I think just the magic online metagame where nothing is really important like league play is whatever a league is like 10 bucks and two hours of your time and even a challenge like those are important to some people but also it's not like a grand prix there's not a pro tour invite on the line or whatever like give us a ptq and you'll see hogak because people are actually going to try to metagame and win also just saying hogak is pretty bad against false cure and swords to plowshares that has been relevant in my testing thus far this week (laughs) man that was so cool. Just like eight damage to your dome and I removed the Hogak. Ho, oh, oh. That's juicy. That Kavu Predator False Cure deck is really fun. I'm not going to call that deck good, but you will randomly make some creatures with 20 plus power that aren't Merit Lodge, and that's a rarity for Legacy. Strong. So is our, our closing recommendation going to be uh, False Cure for the metagame? I mean, for the lulls, fa- False Cure is is pretty great. And I actually played the False Cure mirror when I was recording that video. Um. Does that make the cure true? <laughs> Do they can- cancel out? How does that even? No, I guess they wouldn't. I'm just trying to remember what that card even does. That That's an enchantment that if an opponent gains life, they lose it. Instead. No, I, it's an instant. 
So oh, okay. if an opponent would gain no. Yeah, if an opponent would gain life instead they no, not instead. They lose that much twice that much life. So it's not a replacement effect, it's a trigger that happens after they gain the life that burns them for double it. Gotcha. And oh, I'm I'm going to have to pull up this card because I think there might be a relevant rules interaction that might surprise well, you. Well, uh, I'm just While gonna... Brian's looking that up, uh if we're calling this the cure, I hope that Phil plays out this episode to like Friday I'm in love or some other terrific cure song. Uh I'd be a big fan of that. Okay, so the rules interaction I was thinking of doesn't matter because False Cure just says if they would gain life. But if you compare that to Reign of Gore, which is an enchantment that reads, if a spell or ability would cause its controller to gain life, that player loses that much life instead, which is a completely different thing because lifelink is an ability, but the damage causes the gain of life, not the ability lifelink. So you can attack with impunity with a batter skull through a reign of gore, and you will still gain four life. The more you know. Yep. So in, in case this deck uh, gets bigger and like starts adding more reign of gore effects, more false cures to the deck, just remember to get in there with your batter skull. Go ahead, jam that arrow. Or no, you don't get arrow. You get batter skull though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now now we've got that sorted out. All right. Any any closing thoughts here about the the legacy format or anything of that nature? Yep, I'm just gonna keep working on uh, blue white rest in peace decks until they work because it's only a matter I of time. I think I'm gonna go listen to the Cure. I think I'm gonna go play some Diablo three. <laughs> I'm gonna go to bed. All right. On that note, thank you all for listening. I hope you have a great rest of the day, and we'll see you again in two weeks. Well, we don't really see you, right? That's not how this works, because it's a podcast, but, like, you get the idea. We'll miss you.